Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to Series 3 of What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Jenny Roper, editor of Work Magazine, and over six podcasts, I and my co-host, the CIPD's Katie Jacobs, will be asking experts to dispense with the here and now, embrace the art of the possible, and ponder what if. What if men took more parental leave than women? We never retired, or we all went on strike. This episode, I'll be asking what if we brought our true selves to work? It certainly sounds an enticing prospect, a world in which all workers felt so thoroughly valued and accepted, they no longer felt obliged to hide any facets of their identity. Clearly then, the idea is much value when it comes to equality, diversity and inclusion. We might like to think instances of people hiding the gender of their partner when discussing the weekend, for example, are now rare, but are they really? Of course, this quest for self-acceptance and, crucially, the acceptance of others is by no means confined to the world of work. Ours is a social media age of unfettered self-expression, one in which to find oneself and then be true to it are celebrated as the ultimate, if hard-won, goals. Ours is also an age of fake news, of course. Small surprise, then, that our obsession with authenticity, with hashtag no-filter images and reality television, shows no sign of abating. Indeed, there are so many pithy maxims encouraging us to embrace our authentic selves. You do you, just be yourself, keep it real. That it can be hard to remember that some cultures and historical periods have not placed this emphasis so strongly on individualism. So where did this fixation come from? And is it in danger of becoming an obsession at the cost of other equally important endeavours, behaving professionally and respectfully, for instance? And is there even such a thing as a true, authentic self, just waiting to be uncovered if we only look and soul-search hard enough? To help unpack this deceptively slippery concept, I spoke to Yatundi Hoffman, founder of executive leadership development consultancy Solaris and portfolio non-executive director. I also spoke to Rob Goffey, emeritus professor of organisational behaviour at London Business School. Following on from the work of Harvard Business School professor Bill George, who coined the term authentic leadership in 2003, in 2006, Goffey co-authored, along with Gareth Jones, Why Should Anyone Be Led By You? What It Takes to Become an Authentic Leader. So why did the pair feel it was so important to pen the book at the time? And what is the power of authentic leadership done right? I suppose the start point would be that when we wrote the book, there was an interest in authentic leadership because there was such a lot of evidence of inauthentic leadership. And where did that come from? Well, it came from a modern spate of corporate scandals, Enron onwards, and they keep coming, don't they, in both private sector, public sector. So a a sort of falling sense of trust in organisations, a falling sense of trust with leaders themselves. Now, when we produced the title of the book, Why Should Anyone Be Led By You? The first thing to say about that title is, the question is not why should anyone be managed by you? The underlying question is, what's different or distinctive about you that's going to motivate and inspire me. 
And the moment you accept it's a question about difference or distinctiveness, it's inevitably something to do with who are you. And the moment you're asking questions about who are you, you're asking questions about yourself. Unfortunately, too many leadership development programmes over the years have sought to homogenise leaders to teach them one fail-safe way of doing things. The resulting risk of turning out bland, unfollowable, identical leaders is still a real danger today, laments Rob. Anything which dehumanises leadership development, I think is a problem, given that a significant part of leadership is about this self-expression. You know, I've seen plenty of sophisticated, large corporations which have produced wonderful, glossy programmes that produce well-polished, glossy people who look rather similar to each other. And then those same organisations turn around and say, we've got great managers, but we haven't got enough leaders. Well, surprise, surprise, if leadership is about difference, you should be worried about any development experiences that feel as if you're being processed. Yatunde Hoffman, who authored bestseller Beyond Engagement, The Value of Love-Based Leadership in Organisations in 2020, wholeheartedly agrees that the key to successful leadership is keeping a sense of your own and others' humanity front and centre. In short, it's about authentic, positive emotion, as she explains. Remember, we are humans first, leaders second. So if we come from that place, actually, as we bring it into the world of work, which is basically an environment where where we are human and we're working there, then the light bulb goes on and says that we can have breakthroughs. As you bring it to the importance of authentic emotion, it's really at the heart of it because it's about understanding yourself. It's about knowing how you respond in different situations. It's about becoming an expert in self-understanding and self-awareness. The key is to acknowledge how you are feeling and to be determined to understand yourself. If you come from that place of love, then you're more willing to say, how do I relate in these situations? How am I likely to react? How does this impact me? How does this person impact me? And how do I respond on a good day, on a bad day, on a great day, on a day when I'm full of joy, on a day when I'm sad? So the link to being authentic is really comes from that root of self-acceptance. What Yutande describes so compellingly then is not just self-expression, but very deliberate self-awareness and self-control. It is this element that was sorely lacking from the authentic leadership debate as he found it in 2006, says Rob. And this is where interventions to encourage leaders to be their genuine, authentic selves so often become unstuck, he explains. The book had a strapline which was be yourself more with skill. It's five words reasonably memorable, but you'd be surprised how far people only remember the first three words, be yourself more. And the with skill bit is forgotten. So that with skill is about acknowledging the need to adapt to particular relationships and particular contexts. So a phrase we also used in the book was conform enough. So when you join organisations, you shouldn't conform totally because if you conform, you lose yourself. And 
that's a disaster if you're attempting to be a leader. But if you conform enough to connect to others, then that's a recipe for success. If you don't conform at all, you're likely to be rejected. You know, be yourself, but conform enough. The idea that effectiveness at work has something to do with self-expression isn't particularly new. You know, you can go as far back as Maslow in the 1950s. If you know that work well, you'll know that the top of the hierarchy is something called self-actualization. It's worth reading, although it's difficult, a lot of the existentialist literature, just as one part of trying to work out what authenticity is about. But there's a massive literature, not just in social science, about authenticity and the complexities of it. In the book, we tried to suggest that one way of spotting authenticity was to, in simple terms, ask yourself the question, does someone practice what they preach? We asked people to think about connections between role performances. And we also, a third thing in terms of getting people to think about authenticity, we asked them to think about their origins and their roots. Now, if you put together the three things I've just said, do you practice what you preach? Is there a common thread? Uh, How do we understand your roots? These are quite complicated issues. You can't sort of suddenly fix them in a one-week training programme. This interest in self, self-expression, authenticity is a rich one, but we're in danger of excessively simplifying it, I think. Uh, to go back to the phrase I used earlier on, be yourself more with skill is a lifelong task. And in a way, maybe you never get there. You're constantly working on it. And why not? But what about the rest of us? What about those in non-leadership roles? Clearly, there is a case for all employees feeling comfortable in the place, physical or virtual, where they spend such a large proportion of their time. But is there a danger that the trend for encouraging people to bring their whole selves to work gets once again lost in translation? That they won't hear the subtext of bringing only those bits appropriate in a professional environment and won't leave their occasional laziness, impatience and love of loud crisp chomping safely at home. Rob fears that there is this danger, particularly in our post-pandemic hybrid world, where people have perhaps become a bit too used to working and behaving exactly as suits them. I suspect there is a danger that always this idea of being yourself, it's a fine line with being self-ish. And I guess the more we allow people to construct ways of working which is built around individual, almost domestic routines, it does raise an interesting question about the extent to which that exacerbates or exaggerates differences between one work colleague and another and their preparedness to adapt. I also think it's just unrealistic. And to some extent, I'm not sure that I go along that there is this one real self that maybe gets expressed. I think previously we used to think Maybe this real self exists at home. I don't know. I think the self you display at home is unlikely to be like the self you display at work. Hopefully, 
in terms of authenticity, there's a there's an underlying thread between these different role performances. I wouldn't recommend going home and saying, sit down, darling, it's time for your annual appraisal. Don't bring work behaviours home is a recommendation I would have, or at least not all of them. Um, and similarly, don't bring home or family or leisure or whatever it is, don't bring those all of those behaviours into work. It's just not appropriate. The other danger to Robin Yatunde's mind, beyond people getting confused and assuming hot pants and boardy humour are okay at work and appraisals at home, is companies abusing the notion of bringing your whole self to work. Springing to mind here are those, often tech, firms who lay on so many treats and social events, even places to sleep, that employees need not enjoy much of a life outside of work. The pressure created, possibly inadvertently, is for people's entire identities to be bound up with work. The more cynical reading is that some employers expect people to be fully engaged with their work all of the time at all points of their lives. Many people just don't want that kind of hyper-engagement, of course, as Yatunde explains. As leaders and as human beings, particularly in the world of work, we've got to understand the seasons of life that people go through. I've worked with fathers and mothers, with young children that say, listen, I want to start at nine, I want to finish at five. I've got 20 million other things to do. Give me the task, let me get on with it. Don't have me do A, B, C, D, E. And then at a different season in life, it's like, okay, now I want to go on for that position. How am I going to go for it? Or they might say, now I'm prepared to take people on my team because I have the space. The emotional intelligence and the social intelligence that comes with love is what will have a leader and an organization provide the space to say, how is the best way to support you? Where are you now? And what will get the best out of you? And be ready to listen. And it's having that conversation, adult to adult, leader to leader, in full transparency, enabling that leader who might be saying, well, I just want to get on with my work, to be vulnerable and be strong in their vulnerability, to say, well, hey, this is what I can cope with right now. And I will let you know. And the leader saying yes, because you see in that person the potential they can bring to the organisation. Similarly, while encouraging people to be fully themselves at work should be the very essence of good ED&I, organisations and HR must tread carefully. Research by the University of Exeter Business School, Northeastern University and Wren School of Business recently found that the authenticity agenda can feel problematic for transgender individuals, for example, with many needing their transition to feel experimental rather than a linear journey with a fixed endpoint. The key as with avoiding hyper-engagement, is for workers to feel empowered to choose which parts of themselves to bring to work and which to leave at home. Here's Yatunde again. We're such a rich cocktail. This is where the power of being authentic comes in. And also the power of accepting that actually some people, because of their life experiences, do not want to do that. Particularly for people of colour, and particularly the women of colour. It is difficult because at times it is in this river that the sharks of microaggression swim. Hairstyle, your makeup, 
the way you dress, the where are you really from, your accent, all those kinds of things show up. Women experience it and women of color even more so. And therefore, you might find that for some women, I don't need this. I'm a mom. I've got all these things I'm doing and I'm just going to wear my hair a certain way, even though I'd love to wear it different ways with different colors. I'm not ready to take any smart comments, no matter how innocently shared they are. I'm not going to do that. You know, if I have a, of a different faith, if I'm Muslim or whatever, I'm not going to wear what I could wear because I don't need it. I don't need people thinking certain things of me. So what we need are savvy leaders to say, actually, this is all of who you are and you're welcome just the same because what you bring is amazing. We value that. We welcome that. That's what we want. And then it's up to me to choose. And it means that if I tried, if one day I decided to come with a different look because that's what I prefer, I know there's a higher likelihood of just being embraced and walking into the meeting with that. Oh, hi, you're today going to the beach today or whatever that comment might be. This is so important. Really, really important. So what specifically on a practical level should HR be doing in this space? Does it simply amount slightly damningly to not doing things? not putting pressure on staff to love every second of work or reveal or discover every aspect of themselves while there. Happily, Rob thinks there is much positive activity going on. But actually, these interventions might be more understated and less obviously about authenticity than you'd think. Does this involve huge HR interventions? I don't really think so. You know, a phrase I really like is small shifts can have big impact. I did some work years back with Waitrose and my memory is Waitrose invests in the personal development of its staff in interesting ways. Do you like playing the piano? Okay, we'll we'll pay for piano lessons for you. Do you like dancing? We'll help you do some dancing classes. It's about treating individuals as human beings throughout the organisation. It doesn't necessarily have to be led by HR. And to give Waitrose a small plug, you know, whenever I go and shop in Waitrose, I feel I'm being served at the checkout till by a person who talks to me. I'm not getting processed. The other thing I'd say, just in terms of good interventions, which help people explore who they are, it's worth saying or discussing with people, where's your third place? First and second place is work and family for most people. But the interesting question is, have you got a third place where you can be yourself more, freed of the role constraints of home or family? That idea of have you got a free space, which is characterised by what I would call pure sociability. And I do think that busy, hard-pressed people at work don't have enough space for third places and third places can be liberating and developmental of self-development and possibly certain sorts of leadership development too. Yutunde adds the importance of being mindful about how collaboration and leadership styles translate in our much more virtual post-pandemic world. Of course, so much homeworking has actually presented a vital chance to interact in a more authentic, human-to-human way, she highlights. One of the things I learned very quickly with the pandemic and going online, 
is the opportunity to have a peek into people's home lives, which before that, we never had. On calls, you'd see pets walk across the screen, children pop in. I mean, I've been online where we started, oh, tell me about the book you have on your shelf, or oh, what picture is that, Yitzinde? Um, I've had people say, even with classrooms, say, ah, show us something in your environment that's meaningful to you and talk about it. So it's just been really great. It's provided another opportunity. Now, there's some things that when you are in person, when you're building relationship, that when you are together, that you cannot really bottle. You know, we are social beings. And I think actually that social aspect of our being is what forced us and compelled us to pivot and be more open even online. That needs to connect. And I think that if we had the online calls before the pandemic, it would have been, yeah, hi, how are you? So yes, we get to the tasks. But because of the pandemic, Hey, we got to build a relationship, even online. And that's opened up a new world. Even little things like you, before the st- you start a meeting, check in with all of your team. How are you today and why? And you can say to the team members, this is not a question for you to give us your life history about the weekend. This is just a couple of sentences. I'm feeling this and this is why. Because in paying attention to that, we can support you and we can support each other. It's that provision of checks and balances and providing, particularly this is where HR can come into its own, looking after this most precious resource called the human being, can say, well, how can we support the tools for the teams, the tools for the organization and the tools for the individual that can help them at different times? So there is plenty for HR to do here, as the topic applies to leaders and employees alike. But there are also many pitfalls to avoid. An awareness of the long history in social science, philosophy and the arts of interrogating what authentic self even means is crucial. As is awareness that it might not even be possible to arrive at a definitive sense of someone's true identity. To conclude my interrogation of how the concept should be approached by employers, I put our headline provocation back to our experts. What would happen if we all suddenly brought our whole true selves, warts and all, to work? Here's Rob. I think it would be chaos or anarchy and it wouldn't last very long. And I don't think we know any organisations that have been able to do that and there's a reason for that. In very small organisations, two, three people which are creative, then maybe you can get this kind of friction and explosion of ideas briefly by people simply being themselves, but it won't last long. I can't see a way in which you can have that in larger structured organisations which require some degree of predictability and consistency and performance over time. And here's Yatunde, cutting through the confusion and complexity to leave us with a sense of what, at its core, the right balance in bringing your authentic self to work should feel like, and with a reminder of why it's such an important area for employers to get right. The key thing is what serves you. The important thing is how do you feel when you are at work, when you walk in that proverbial door, whether it's online or you go into a physical building or you're there with your team? How are you feeling? That's the key thing. And that's what definition of true is. And what matters most is that feeling of incongruence that an employee may feel in situations. If there is that feeling, 
and it is consistent and constant, that is wrong. You're not bringing your true self because the true self is, am I feeling comfortable? Do I feel content? Do I feel congruent with where I am? And it is my choice to keep this at home and bring this to work. That's the key thing. If I am myself with skill and I am content with how I show up at work, that's my true self in the work context. You have been listening to the What If podcast brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.